0: This episode of the Supply Chain Brain podcast is supported by Old Dominion Freightline, a leading less-than-truckload carrier with national, regional, and expedited service. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company and what it offers to customers. But now, on to the podcast. The pandemic has upended shippers' supply chains and carrier services. Where do they go from here? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Speaking metaphorically, you could say that the pandemic lowered the water level of global trade and revealed the rocks beneath. If they didn't know it before, shippers became all too aware of the built in weaknesses in their supply chains and how easily a crisis like COVID 19 can disrupt product flow. More specifically, it forced them to reevaluate their relationships with carriers. On this episode, we examine the nature of this deep self-appraisal with the help of Chip Overby, Senior Vice President of Strategy and Planning with Old Dominion Freight Line. We'll zero in on the questions that shippers should be asking about their sourcing strategies and key carriers today, and we'll talk about what those two parties most value in one another. Here's my conversation with Chip Overby. Chip Overby, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Bob, for having me. Good to be here.
0: Chip, what weaknesses have you seen in shippers' supply chains that were revealed by the pandemic? As
1: I think about that, Bob, first of all, the pandemics like no event any of us, I think, have experienced in in the logistics industry today. I know at least in my 40-plus years' experience, there's nothing I've ever seen. So we'll give everybody a little grace to start with, I guess. (laughs) Secondly... It's a little difficult to definitively say exactly what all the weaknesses is, because every shipper, every industry, they all have something unique about them, right? So each of their respective logistic operation are different. But with that said, maybe two or three things that I've noticed or I've heard customers mention, or maybe that we've we may have all read in places. one might be rethinking or thinking about, hey, where exactly are my supplies coming from? Do I have them in a proximity that works when there's a capacity crunch? Do I have the right partners who've been investing in their own infrastructure and their own capacity and technology that can deliver during peak times or extraordinarily peak times? Do those partners have a long-term strategy and a vision for what they're doing from a capacity standpoint? and do they have a history of executing on those type things so that you can have confidence in what they're doing Mm. and then secondly or thirdly from a technology standpoint are they investing in that do i have visibility to know where my supplies are where they are geographically how fast i can get to them and how can i communicate with my customers and give them some transparency on where their anticipated goods are going to be arriving so I think those are some things that maybe has caused us to all to step back and think about, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting question to ask. But I wonder, to what extent did shippers discover that the answer to those questions was no? <laughs> in other words, I, that they hadn't thought through these well, things and only, only discovered that they hadn't when they were caught up in the pandemic and the crisis that came out of that.
1: Well, and you may be right. And if you think back to it, it all kind of started with the toilet paper, right? I mean, mm. you, you start thinking about that. And then you start thinking about other things. Okay, exactly where is this being made? We all live in a global supply chain and the e-commerce world has intensified that. So from a manufacturer and supplier standpoint, I don't know, maybe you start thinking a little bit more about near sourcing to the U.S. if that's your largest market, right? Or do I need to do something different? Do I need to change the way I stock my inventory and what my supply of inventory is? I, I think it It gives you pause to at least stop and reevaluate some of those things. Even if you don't change what you're doing, it never hurts to to step back and say, hey, have we got it right?
0: Yeah, certainly the question of inventory has come up quite a bit lately. This idea of this just-in-time minimization of safety stock turned out to maybe not be the best move in cases where your supply gets completely interrupted. So you think there may be some reconsideration going on there on the inventory side, huh?
1: It could be. I would have to think about that. As a supply chain here in the U.S. and in the infrastructure we have, we've been pretty efficient as a country doing that. But a lot of that inventory has been on the water, in process, or on companies like Old Dominion's tractor trailer. So that's as opposed to great big warehouses, and national warehouses. The move mm-hmm. is to be more just in time. And we're hauling a lot of that inventory, and we love hauling it. But at the same time, you have to think about, like you say, what is the right safety stock? But again, I'm not sure you can plan for a pandemic-type
0: event. Well, what about the lessons learned specifically on the carrier strategy side in terms of carrier and capacity sourcing? Do you think that shippers are rethinking those strategies to any degree?
1: Yeah, I think they are, and I think it's a good question that's warranted being asked. I think from a shipper standpoint, as they think about their carriers and capacity, one thing they may should ask is, who's really my trusted partner or my trusted advisor? And we've often heard the phrase, perception is reality, but in the end of the day, reality is reality. And you may have a partner that's perceived to be good, but unless they really can execute unless they've really been proactively investing in their capacity, their people, their technology, that perception may not be real. The other thing I think is, they need to be thinking to themselves, okay, just how trustworthy are my partners? Do they do what they say they can do? And when there is a problem, do they communicate? And do they come to me with, there may be a problem, but at least they've got some options and some opportunities for us to partner together and find a solution. I think, too, they should be asking, how familiar is my carrier partner with my business? Do they understand what my value proposition is? And can they help me truly grow my business from a profitability standpoint and not just volume? There's a cost to acquiring a customer, Bob, but there's an even greater cost to lose them and have to reacquire them. I think there's something to think about. You know, I once heard it said that if your product is out of stock, On the shelf than your competitors' products in stock in their shopping cart. Having a carrier that's invested in capacity can get your goods to market is a big deal.
0: Do you think there's been too much emphasis in the past on price of carrier services to the extent where you've got this pendulum that swings back and forth? One day, the carriers are in control. The next days, the shippers are in control, depending on economic conditions and capacity of availability. It just swings back and forth without any consideration given to the factors that you just mentioned. Do you think that's been a problem in the past?
1: I think it has been in the past. I do think the LTL segment has gotten better about that over the years. We mentioned this on our last turning call, we thought the price was pretty stable, but at the same time, these swings really aren't good for anybody because you're playing a transactional game when you do that. It's a little bit almost like a marriage, right? Hmm. If, if you've got a marriage that's transactional, it doesn't last. A marriage wasn't intended to be a one and done thing. It was intended to be a forever thing with a continuing growth together. And I think when you start living in the transactional world, of what's my freight price? Now you're not thinking about what it's really costing me to do business. There's a cost to my inventory turns. There's a cost to me being out of stock. There's a cost to me getting fines from my customers or chargebacks or a damaged claim and my customer's unhappy. When you roll those things all together and you apply that back to the freight rate, now we're not talking about a price anymore. We're talking about what's the cost of delivery to the customer and the customer's journey with your brand. Mm -hmm. And there's a real value in that versus the price, because at the end of the day, when your carrier shows up to make a delivery, it's your brand at their dock. It's not always the carrier's brand. It's your brand. I think we lose that vision sometimes when we get into a simply and only a freight-rate conversation.
0: But even if you get beyond the freight-rate conversation, you get into a real relationship with the carrier that goes very deep in the way that you've just described. Is it a good idea to single-source that carrier, no matter how trusted it might be, in a case of emergency where that carrier has problems and suddenly you're left with no plan B? Do you think that shippers should spread their business around a little bit?
1: I don't know that it ever makes sense for anybody to have all their apples in one basket. Listen, we would love to have every piece of business that all of our customers have, but at the same time, we understand they got to run a business, and we've got to earn each and every lane, each and every state they give us. And we don't mind doing that. But I think part of that discussion, when they're saying, okay, do I need one LTL carrier or two LTL carriers or three, is as they look at those individual LTL carriers or truckload carriers or whatever vendor partner it might be, is they need to be asking themselves along with that, okay, what are each and individual partners doing to build their capacity, invest in their capacity, and be able to service me in the month, in the quarter, in the year, a booming economy with a high GDP and high ISM rates. What's going on with that? Can they do it? And do they have a track record of doing it? Because if they haven't been doing it historically, they can't do it quick enough when things pick up. Because as you know, the way this industry works, and, and like I say, I've been in it a long time, it'll fall off quicker than it'll... Sometimes it ramps up, but once it ramps up, it has a tendency to go pretty quick sometimes, particularly if the consumer economy is doing pretty well and the manufacturing or industrial economy starts doing pretty well. Then it can go quick, and you can't invest fast enough in network capacity, equipment capacity, and people capacity if you haven't been doing
0: it all along. I think we can get a pretty good idea of what a shipper wants in a good carrier. And we've talked a little bit about that so far. But I'm also curious about what it is a carrier wants in a shipper. And this is this idea of most favored shipper, the idea that when things get tough, when capacity gets tight, the carrier is forced to make choices. And it might choose those shippers that it's had the better relationship with. And I'm just wondering, what are the qualities of a shipper that would cause a carrier to to stick with that customer in tough times?
1: That's a good question. It's also something I think a lot of carriers probably talk about. I know we have those conversations sometimes with customers when they come in here. Preferred customer is somebody that's willing to get in the boardroom with you or invite you into their boardroom and start talking about longer range type plans. Hey, this is what we see coming. How can you provide for that? And as a carrier, okay, we can do those things, but hey, we need you to work on some packaging things. We need you to work on time of day shipping. We need you to, to work on how you pay there's pieces and parts to all those type things. And I think when you get a relationship where neither party is giving the other party or a religious experience year in and year out, <laughs> now you've got something. You've got an opportunity to not only be a valued trusted vendor partner, but also have a valued trusted customer that, you know, you can go to them and, Hey, you may stump your toe today, but you've got a solution for them. And you can give them options. And it's a long-term conversation. And it's about communication and exchanging information. And when you start doing that, there's a value to both parties.
0: Yeah, you certainly want to see that at a very high level that you're sitting around the table talking about that, but what also about at ground level too. How is the driver treated at the distribution center or the warehouse or the shipper? How long do they have to wait to unload or offload? What kind of facilities do they have available to them? Aren't those things also important on a very real basis?
1: they're very important as you say on a real basis they're also very important as that carrier builds the price for that customer we've invested a lot in technology from an operational standpoint here so we can really capture how long our drivers stay somewhere what it costs to move the freight across the dock those type things what the packaging implications are what the dims are where the rubber meets the road so to speak is you're outlining all those things are important because If a carrier's got a good cost model, they're feeding all of that information back into that model to build that house and build that price for that shipper. So it's important that they have that data and they've got accurate data because now you can have a real conversation. I can tell you here at OD, we have absolutely no issue having shippers come in here, have that conversation. In fact, there've been times we've offered to let them sit with our pricing people and load their own data and build their own cost structure. But in doing so, you've got to have good information. And you've got to have, again, both parties willing to treat the driver well, along with drivers showing up with quality equipment. It goes both ways.
0: So what challenges remain right now, even in an atmosphere of a really strong relationship between a shipper and a carrier? The world of transportation, especially trucking, faces a number of challenges even as we speak. What are some of those things that, that shippers and carriers are dealing with today?
1: Probably one of the bigger things I think right now is just we, we started kind of early is just where are we with an inventory standpoint. Capacity, particular driver capacities, is a big deal. And that's not just in truckload and LTL. You, you saw that with the Colonial Pipeline issue a few weeks back. One of the big issues there was even once they got it back up and running, was do they have enough tanker drivers to get the supply back into the the flow? Bob Costello with the ATA spoke not long ago, and he talked about the growth and the expected tonnage growth over the next 10 years. And he even talked about opportunity for shortage of, of drivers. So we've got as an industry to find a way to bring more and more young people into this industry, particularly as the older set retires and moves away, This is a great industry. It can provide a really good life for people, but the marketplace is gonna drive some changes and we've gotta do a better job as an industry of showing what a great industry it is and what kind of life they can have as a driver, the experiences they can get, the money they can make, the great benefits that a lot of companies like Old Dominion have to provide prospective drivers. So that's a big thing we've gotta deal with as we look forward. I don't see the economy leveling out on us really fast anytime soon. So we've got to think about that and really address that, I think, as a group.
0: So, Chip, how has Old Dominion specifically responded to these current capacity and service situations that we're seeing now. I think the key word in your question there, Bob, is responded. I, we try very hard here
1: to do just exactly that and not react. We spend a lot of time every year thinking and planning and looking where we may have capacity constraints. We look a lot at, okay, how are we training our people, what we might do need to do from an equipment standpoint, how we need to recycle and cycle in and out that equipment we typically spend about 10 to 15% of our annual revenue on our CapEx budget. In fact, our CapEx for 2021 is just north of $600 million. And we've spent over a billion dollars since I think 2011 in our network. It's kind of what goes back to what I was saying a little earlier where we were talking in general. You don't do that overnight. I can tell you real estate is difficult to find from time to time in certain markets for LTL carriers. So unless you're thinking about that ahead of time and unless you're planning that ahead of time, thinking about what your growth could be, how many people you do need, how you're going to grow your driver force, responding is what you got to do. You can't react. I find it interesting sometimes, I listen to other earning calls and they'll talk about, well, we had a lot of expenses this quarter training our people. We don't see that as an expense. We see that in an investment. In our service product we spend a lot of money trying to make sure we got the very best trained people that understand what our value proposition is about how we give our customers service over and beyond and i think that's how we've been able to address it and i think if you look at our numbers and spend some time looking at our average growth rate over the last 20 years it's a little over 11 percent it's worked the service is what sets us apart from our competitors we know that, we believe that, but what we know is if we don't have the capacity in our real estate network, our equipment, if we haven't invested in our technology to give visibility and give all the, the bells and whistles our customers want, and if we don't make investment in our people, we'll never serve our customers at the level that they require. And if we don't, then we won't grow. And the minute you stop growing, you're on a, not a good path.
0: How do you think you're going to meet the future needs of your customers? What are they asking for? What will they be asking for that they're not asking for maybe now? To the extent that anybody could predict the future, what do you think the future looks like from that standpoint?
1: Well, I can't tell you that my crystal ball is completely clear. I do think one of the things that we've done well and I think we'll continue to do is we spend a lot of time trying to talk to our customers. We spend a lot of time with them. Before the pandemic, we could get out there and go see a lot of them, right? That sort of changed of face-to-face. Now, it's it's starting to come back a little bit, but we're always open to having them come in here. We believe in listening. We believe in learning. We believe in leaning into their feedback, trying to understand what the demands are from their stakeholders, be it their investors, their stockholders, their own employees. And then what we try to do is take that information and bake it into some type of long-term plan. Sometimes that's three years. Sometimes that's five. Sometimes that's 10. Now, I can't tell you that anybody's got a good, clear 10-year plan, but uh, if we did, we'd have saw the pandemic coming. But we just believe if we continue to invest in ourselves, that it gives us a strategic advantage, but we also believe it gives our customers a strategic advantage. And I say that because I think it gives them three things strategically. One, it gives them some reliability and some certainty. Everybody likes reliability and certainty, something they can trust. It gives them a service product they can count on. It gives them the ability to help plan their own operations and reduce their cost. It prevents them having marketplace swings when things do happen. It also gives them somebody with capacity that at end of month, at the end of quarter, at end of year, when maybe one of their other carrier partners is out of capacity, we can provide that. It provides them a strategic advantage from a reputational protection. It's like I said earlier, their brand promise is riding on our trailer. Mm -hmm. So it gives them an opportunity to make sure they protect that brand and protect reputational damage. And I think it gives them an opportunity for growth because if they protect that brand, they can manage their business and, and have some certainty in it. Well, now their customer journey within their organization is a much more likable, enjoyable, opportunity for them to grow that customer and not always have to keep churning and acquiring customers. So if we can do that and we can drive that kind of value for our customers, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? it in turn circled back
0: to you. Well, listen, Chip Overby of Old Dominion Freight Line, I want to thank you so much for helping us to understand what's going on in the world of shippers and carriers right now, what shippers and carriers are learning, how they can improve, and specifically a little bit about Old Dominion itself. So thank you very much for being with me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it.
0: That was my conversation with Chip Overby of Old Dominion Freight Line, talking about what shippers and carriers have learned from the pandemic. Our thanks to ODFL for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast. for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital digital magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.